0: We only have one more week left of our series, Guardians of the Family. Uh, We'll wrap up next week on Father's Day. And it's been a great series as we've been talking about just what's going on in the world today and the attack on our family and how to guard our families, how to protect our families, how to reach the next generation and, uh, and, and, and build strong marriages because, you know, strong families are built on strong marriages. And last week we talked about the importance of good communication. And if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and check it out uh, on our website. Uh, today I'm going to talk about another issue that is right up there with communication as being a big stressor in most families. And, uh, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's one of those issues that uh, really does cause a lot of problems for many people. And I'm, we're gonna be talking about finances and biblical stewardship. At some point in every marriage, finances become an issue. Uh, and sometimes it's just an unexpected thing, you lose a job, uh, an un- unintended expense just creeps up out of nowhere and, and blows up the budget. Uh, or you could be in a time we're in right now where the expenses are escalating faster than the income is rising and the stress that that puts on families. And then you've just got medical bills and student loan debt and insurance costs and tax increases and kids' tuition. And I could go on, but I don't want to depress you too much. But the idea here is the fact that, I mean, the expenses can really begin to mount up and put a lot of pressure and stress on families. And so, you know, when, when expenses are high and income is low... Uh, all of a sudden you feel pulled, you feel stressed and strained. And so we're going to talk about that and, and, and how that affects the marriage relationship and, and what we can do to make sure that when those financial stressors you know, hit the home, that, that we can weather those kind of situations. So last week I talked about the fact that kids learn a lot of their communication habits from their parents, right? You probably communicate with your family much the way that your parents communicated with you, or you were the one that said, I'm never communicating with my, par- my kids the way that my parents Communicated with me, but they, it, the way that it was communicated in your home is influenced the way that you communicate. Well, the same thing is true in the area of finances. You pick up you pick up a lot of the financial habits of your parents, and uh, these financial habits you know the husband brings some in, the wife brings some in, and and they aren't they don't always align, and so we end up with. You know, differences of opinion on certain issues, which are important. Borrowing money for purchases. Some people, ah, just put it on a credit card. It's no big deal. Uh, and some are like, we don't use credit cards, you know? And so there's, there's that debate. Then there's, you know, buying gifts for the family. We buy gifts, Christmas gifts for everybody in the family. or We don't buy them for anybody. Uh, buying new cars or used cars and, and how elaborate vacations should be. And what should we give to charity or to church? And working overtime, is it good or bad? Investing for retirement? Do we a lot? Do we little... There are so many philosophies on all of these kind of things and we each bring them into the marriage and these things can begin to create some sparks. And so how do we navigate these kind of things? So I wanna give you some solid biblical principles that will help you to really guide the decisions on, on these really important topics. Throughout scripture, both the Old and New Testament, you're going to find many, many passages talking about different principles for financial management. And uh, they come with different kind of names. And uh, so we're going to go over some of them today. The, the principle of stewardship, uh, the principle of generosity, the principle of investing, of saving, of borrowing, of spending, the principle of investing, the principle of, of hard work. So many principles. The, there are thousands of of Bible passages that talk about these particular issues. And so we're gonna to start today uh, looking at Paul's letter to Timothy in the church uh, at, at Ephesus. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll begin reading in verse 6. He writes, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and God, we're thankful for your word and and God that you guide us, you instruct us, you teach us from your word, how to live a life that pleases you. And so, Father, in this, in this area of life, in the area of stewardship and finances, God, I pray that you would, you would help us, help us to be good stewards of everything that you have entrusted to us, uh, Father, I pray uh, that you would uh, guide and direct our discussion here today. Open our eyes as we read your word. May your Holy Spirit speak to us. And, and Lord, there may be a time throughout this message where you want to tap somebody on the shoulder and say, you know, this is an issue you should probably consider. Or maybe this is something you should change. Or, or maybe even a confirmation that you're doing a great job in this area. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just speak to hearts. And God, you'd use me to communicate the truth that you would have us to receive here today. So Lord, we dedicate this time to you. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. So godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, um, if I knew of an investment that I could guarantee to you that was gonna return a 10,000% increase over the next five years, how many of you would like to know that ticker symbol? You know, yeah, a lot of you would, right? We all would because we all like great gain, right? I mean, that's what everybody would want. Well, what does Paul say here? He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, we should be pursuing holiness, both in our conduct, in our attitude, in our thoughts. But he said we should also be content. In whatever circumstances... We find ourselves to be content, to be holy and content. He said, when you're holy and content, that's going to produce great gain. That's going to be a a positive thing for you. But here's what if you're not godly and if you're not content, you know, well, in fact, if you're not content, you're probably not going to be godly too long because you're going to get drawn into all kinds of things. And uh, sometimes we get drawn into this desire that we want to be rich. And uh, the Bible doesn't say there's anything wrong with being rich. In fact, it says to the wealthy this in 1 Timothy 6 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, which richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. He didn't say there's anything wrong with being rich. In fact, there are many rich people in the Bible. That didn't say it's, it's, the issue is the heart, it's, it's how you respond. You don't want to be greedy instead, you want to you want to be content and, and the Lord blesses us so, so the issue is do we have a right heart attitude towards money and wealth so i 'm going to share with you several principles here this morning uh, on money and management and wealth that hopefully uh, will guide you that will you know perhaps challenge you uh, and build your belief in this important And it doesn't mean that you and I are gonna end up on the same page, you know, and and all of these things. You have to, when it comes to a principle, you have to look at it, interpret it, and consider how you're gonna apply it in your life. But I believe there are some good, sound, biblical principles of financial management, and we're gonna hit as many as we can in the short time we have together today. So we're gonna start with the first one, which is the principle of stewardship. The principle of stewardship, and, and this is really built upon four truths. And the first of those truths is the fact that God owns everything. God owns the money in our wallets, in our purses, in our bank accounts, in our investment accounts. It is all God's. God entrusts to you and me his money and his property, and he allows us to manage it for a period of time. That's a part of stewardship. We are stewards of the Lord's resources. They're all his. Psalm 24, one says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And then in 1 Chronicles, it says, uh, chapter 29, verse 11, yes, Lord, it is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty uh, and the splendor for everything in heaven is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head above all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Many other scriptures teach us this. We came with nothing into the world. We leave with nothing. We get to use it while we're here. So the reality is it's not our stuff. It's not our stuff. None of it. We may get to use it for a period of time, but it isn't ours. You're not taking it with you. Uh, so it's all God's. He graciously allows us to enjoy His resources while we live on earth. We get to enjoy them, we get to manage them, we oversee them, but we must never forget that ultimately God owns them all. So God owns it all. Not only that, the second truth here in the area of respon- uh, in stewardship is the fact that, that we all have a responsibility to manage those resources well. You go back to the Garden of Eden, and as beautiful as it was, and God put Adam and Eve in charge of managing the Garden of Eden. He entrusted varying levels of resources for all of us, really, to to, to manage. I want to See what Jesus had to say, because Jesus gave a, a really interesting story, and you can't really talk about stewardship and financial management without reading this passage, because it's so important. And Jesus, Jesus said this in Matthew twenty-five, verse fourteen. It tells the story. Jesus says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Twenty gave five bags of gold, into another two bags, and to another one bag, and each according to his ability. Then he went off on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went all at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful to a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. A man with two bags of gold came and he said, master, you've entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful of a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who would received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went and, and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have at least received it with interest. So take the bag of gold from him And give it to the one who has 10 bags. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus made a pretty clear picture here of what he expects of those who manage his resources. He wants us to manage them well, and really, the third principle here uh, in the area of stewardship is the fact that we'll be accountable for our management of the Lord's resources. I believe that God watches how we manage the resources that He entrusts to us, <clears throat> God pays attention to the details. And here, this one steward failed in their responsibility, and he was stripped of the talent that he had. And I believe that we'll be called to give an account for our stewardship of the resources that God has entrusted to us. And this doesn't just mean bags of gold or money. I believe it involves our time and our abilities and our skills. How do you use the talents that God has entrusted to you, the knowledge that God put in your head, the information, the wisdom that you have, the relationships, the network, the family, the work opportunity, all the different things that God has given to you? How are you managing, stewarding, using those for God's glory to, to, to bring Him happiness? Are you using the things that God has placed within your sphere of accountability? Are you using it well? You and I were going to give an account to God as stewards for what he's entrusted to us. And here's the fourth truth in the area of stewardship, and that is the fact that we'll be rewarded if we manage his resources well. Right? Didn't we see that? The one who managed it well, the one of the 10 got got, got another one. So we obtain rewards from God for, for doing good works, for persevering under persecution, for caring for the needy, for... Treating our enemies kindly and for managing the resources that God has given us. Now, we do not earn salvation based upon our efforts. I'm not saying that your eternal destiny as a follower of Jesus Christ is based upon your management of, of resources. You know, it's our belief that determines our eternal destination, it's our behavior that determines our eternal rewards. We don't work to get into heaven. We believe to get into heaven, but we do receive rewards based upon the works that we do. And so that's the principle of stewardship. Nothing that we have belongs to us. It all belongs to God. And we're called to manage it well. Now, the second principle I want to talk to you about today is the principle of contentment. And uh, uh, we see this theme throughout the New Testament. Paul writing to the book of, uh, to the Philippians, uh, said this in chapter four verse 11. He says, "I'm not saying this because I am in need. for he says, "I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or, need, or in want. I can do all things through him." who gives me strength. The word content here comes from a Latin word, contentus, and it basically means to be satisfied. He's learned to be satisfied. It comes from the realization that God provides everything that we need in life. Now, the opposite of contentment is covetousness. I want more. I want what you have. I look and I see what you have, and I want what you have. He says, don't don't do that. Our contentment really should be based upon the fact that the thing that you need the most, forgiveness of sin, right, has been provided by Jesus Christ. So our real contentment should stem from the fact that by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, we can escape the penalty of hell and spend eternity with God forever. Amen? Everything else is a bonus. So be content. Be content when you have a lot. Be content when you have a little. Don't covet what other people have. Just be faithful with God with what God has given you. How do you implement the principle of contentment in your life? Well, there's four things to this one as well. I'm not going to have time to double click on each one of these, and, 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 or I won't get through the whole sermon today. I'm just going to give them to you here. If you want to be content, you need to do these four things. First of all, stop comparing yourself to other people. You know what? Why did God give the first guy five bags of gold and the second guy two bags and the third guy one bag? You know, we don't know, right? It's because God chose to give that guy five bags. He could have given the he could have given the guy that he gave one five, but he didn't. He gave that guy five. God chooses. So stop comparing yourself to other people. Just be who God created you to be and do what God has called you to do. Number two, stop complaining about your situation, and and just be content. Just be content with your situation. Third, start recognizing the good things that you already have. Stop looking at what you don't have and look at what you do have, because God has probably richly blessed you. And then start celebrating the successes of other people. Instead of coveting when other people have great fortune, be happy for them. Celebrate their success when God blesses them. Those are, those are keys to being content. Let's go to the third biblical principle this morning, and that's the principle of hard work. The principle of hard work. Writing the church at Colossae, Paul says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. We're called to work hard from the moment God created man He put Adam in charge of the Garden of Eden, and he told him he had to work. In Genesis, we read in Genesis 128, it says, God commanded Adam to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it to have dominion over the flesh of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God is the author of work. And he has called us to dominate and thrive and work hard in all that we do. We're called to work hard. Why? Well, four reasons here. One, we work to please God. We need to remember that in our work, we are working to please God because God has called us to work hard. And in doing so, we bring glory and honor to God. So God calls us to work hard. Secondly, we work hard to help others. You know, we are there to assist and to benefit and bless and encourage other people as we come alongside and serve and work with them. Third, we, we work hard to provide for our families. We're called to do that. First Timothy 5.8, says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Listen, we're called to provide for our families. We're called to take care of our relatives. We should step up and serve, that's one of the reasons we work, is so that we can help our families. And The fourth reason we should work is my favorite, and that is we work so we can eat, right? <laughs> Second Thessalonians says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who was unwilling to work shall not eat. Parents, this is a great opportunity to teach your kids the value of hard work. If they want to sit around on a Saturday morning and they don't want to help out with the chores and they don't want to work, then Then you don't eat because in this house, in this house, you have to work in order to eat. And so there needs to be some responsibility. Don't do everything for them, serve them, you know, put them to work, give them a Bible verse, tell them, listen, if you aren't working, you aren't eating, you know? We're called to work hard, it's an integral part of life to work cheerfully without complaint. The next three principles I want to talk to you about today, I'm going to kind of lump them together for the sake of time. And these are the principles of saving, spending, and investing. And again, I'm telling you, I could spend, I could spend weeks, a whole sermon series just on these topics. This is very introductory today. Um, <clears throat> the Bible is full of good advice, sound practices, you know, uh, you know good information, you know, about all of these topics, and I just want to give you a, you know a, a brief overview here. I want to start with saving money for the future. Um, uh, I, I I believe that the scripture really commends those who plan ahead and save for the future. Uh, in in the book of Proverbs, you know we we see uh, God commending an ant for the work that this ant does in preparing for the future. Because the reality is, none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow, right? I read this morning in Fox News that some guy in Las Vegas said an alien landed in his backyard and he was like eight to 10 feet tall and with big buggy eyes. Anybody see that article? I'm like, is this, is this real? I mean, are, are we really having this conversation and aliens and things like, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow, right? We never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, so I believe that we should be wise and prepare for whatever may come down the pike. Whether we're talking about saving for retirement, saving for something we want to buy in the future, whether we are saving to prepare for an unforeseen storm that may come. Proverbs chapter 6, Solomon writing, he says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provision in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. What's Solomon saying here? He says, consider the ant, because it doesn't even have anybody telling it what to do, but it knows enough to prepare for the future. And I believe it's wise to live prepared. Prepared. I've talked about this a lot, and you can, I've preached whole sermons on this this particular topic. But I think it's wise for people to strive to have one to three months of reserves stored up and ready in the event a crisis were to uh, affect our lives. Uh, you know, we've lived through in the last in the last three years some unusual events, right? I mean. Nobody ever saw the fact that they would shut down the entire global economy for a period of time. I mean, that, that was unthinkable that 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 would happen, and yet it happened in our lifetime, and we can all remember it, right? Remember the great TP shortage of 2020? You remember that everybody was you know bartering with toilet paper? You know, um, it, it's just insane. You just never know. And there, I've never seen in my 54 years on this earth the level of potential catastrophes that we have looming out there today from, from, from war uh, to uprising to the political division in our own country to uh, different social issues happening in our land. I mean, these are crazy times and you just never know when you may wish that you were better prepared to face what might Happen tomorrow that you didn't know was going to happen. So I encourage everybody to just think. You know what? If I didn't want to leave my house for a month, what would I wish I had? And just get it and store it and keep it. And if I wanted to have some cash, how much would I want? And get it and keep it. You know, just think prepared. You know, Uh, and this isn't a foreign topic. If you if you just begin to study the theme preparation uh, in the Bible. Uh, you you will you will begin to see that it is a consistent theme now you know now they call people that kind of think this way preppers but you know i grew up on a farm we weren't preppers But we just did a garden and we canned green beans and we froze corn and we killed a hog and and beef. And and we we just, that's the way we lived, right? Back in the days, you know, nowadays, the the whole just in time management theory kind of kicked in in the 80s and it's the way we live, right? It's like at three o'clock, I need to run to public, got to figure out what we're going to have for dinner tonight, right? You know, I think wisdom says we need to be better prepared. And, uh, uh, Dave Ramsey, in, in his class, teaches the fact that everybody should have an emergency fund, you know at least a1,000 dollars that's, that's in reserve just to cover those emergencies, uh, and then after that, work to build a bigger emergency fund. So uh, that's, that's savings. Now let's talk about spending for just a moment. Um, <clears throat> the main issue you need to know when it comes to spending is the fact that you need to live within your means. This is this, this this is just basic. You need to spend less than you make. <laughs> Let that thought just really sink in, you know? Spend less than you make. Living within your means. Do not follow the example of the United States government. They can do things that you can't do legally. They can print money out of thin air and pass it on to us in the form of inflation, but that's another issue. <laughs> live within your means. And the best way to do this is to create a budget and follow it. Create a budget. Most of, I mean, truly, the, the wealthiest people I know are people who who, who live within a budget. They, 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 they operate a budget. They know what comes in, they know what goes out, and they manage those resources well. And I, And I believe Jesus... You know, I believe, although he didn't use the word budget, I believe that he taught us this principle. If you look at Luke chapter 14, verse 28, Jesus says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Well, right there. What is that? He's talking about building a budget. You know, are you going to do a pro forma? Are you Are going to see what is it going to cost to build this thing and how much do we have and do we have enough to build this thing because we don't want to get halfway into it and then not be able to pay it? For if you lay the foundation or are not able to finish and everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build, wasn't able to finish. When you build a budget, you're thinking beyond today's needs and you're looking months many times years in advance, thinking about the future. Solomon said in Proverbs 21, 20, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Listen, don't just go out and spend everything. Be thinking about the future, what you're gonna need, what you're going to want, what you plan to do, and then make sure that in your budget you've, you've, you've saved for that. Now, once you've, once you've prepared and once you've lived within your means and once you've begun to save, then, then you can begin to go to the next, uh, the next one, which is the principle of investment. Investing uh, for the future. And uh, this, too, uh, is important. Uh, if you're disciplined in your investing, you can build significant wealth over time. And uh, I think Solomon uh, commended this. Again, God is not against wealth. Uh, Solomon said this, Proverbs 13, 22, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Well, how do you build an inheritance for your children's children? Well, you do that by building wealth. If you're going to be able to give to your children's children, it's meant to the fact that you've built wealth in your life. And how do you build wealth? Well, we've discussed many of these today. They're just simple principles of financial management. You make a budget and you live within it. You learn to live on less than you make. You save for the future and for emergencies. That way, when unexpected expenses arise, it doesn't catch you uh, unaware and unprepared. You avoid debt as much as possible, and you consistently invest to build wealth. And if you will do these things, you will find the fact that uh, you will, over time, build wealth, and it'll change your life. And it's important that we do that. Now, let me give you the last principle I wanna share with you today, and that's the principle of generosity. The principle of generosity. We don't just save and invest and build uh, wealth so that we can hoard the money and use it all for ourselves. Uh, I think the biggest reason that we build wealth is so that we can be outrageously generous because God wants us to be generous. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God, what? Loves a cheerful giver. God loves it when we cheerfully give to him, to others, to meet needs, to help those that are hurting. I just want to say, you know, I'm blown away by the generosity of this church. Uh, You know, Folks that you know, say, "Hey, we want to sponsor teens going to camp." I mean, even without us asking, many times it is, "Hey, we want to sponsor some kids." Last week, I just made the church aware of the fact that, "Hey, we needed to buy a forklift and we needed to buy a pallet jack." And by five o'clock that night, all all the funds were committed for both of those. You know, uh, that was forty nine thousand dollars. One comment, boom, and uh, you folks stepped. Forward to meet those needs. God loves a cheerful giver, and uh, I I am uh, honored to lead a church of, of folks who really embrace this. And uh, but it's an important thing that we all must build into the fabric and the and just the rhythm of our life. You know, everything that God does in this world, he he channels his resources through his people. And, uh, you know, you know, when God wants to do a big work, he sends people and he channels the resources for that big work through his people. And it is fun to be those people that God uses to bless others. Amen. It's more blessed to give than to receive, right? Wouldn't you rather be the one giving than the one that had to be receiving? You know, it's more blessed to be the giver. Uh, And, uh, so all of the resources that the Lord has that he puts in our hands to steward and to manage and that we're gonna be accountable for, he wants us to be generous with those to fund all that he is doing. In the Old Testament time, uh, he established a tithe. Uh, and a tithe just means a tenth. That's all the word means. It doesn't mean to give. It doesn't mean a $10 bill. It means a tenth. It means 10% of the income. In their Old Testament times, they were called to give 10% of their income so that the Levites could be taken care of, so that the work of the temple uh, could be uh, handled. In Proverbs chapter three, verse nine, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So the first fruits here in this passage just means that we give to the Lord first. When that income comes in, we stop and we say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to honor you first. Before I give to anything else, I'm going to give to you. It's it's the first fruits principle that we see. And, and we just honor God by giving to him first. And whatever it is, we feel that God has called us to give. In the New Testament, in the age of grace that we currently live, uh, we give out of gratitude, not so much out of obligation. We give out of God's gratitude. In the Old Testament, Uh, They gave in order to be blessed. In the New Testament, we give because we have been blessed. In the church age in which we believe, I think God looks more at our heart than necessarily the exact percentage we give. He's looking to see if we are generous people, if we truly love to give and to bless others. Are we motivated out of a heart of compassion for other people and for God? In the New Testament time, I believe God looks at our heart to see if we're giving by faith. Are we giving because we trust God and we believe God, or we, or or do we have a scarcity mindset? Well, okay, God, I'll give a little bit here, you know, because I got to make sure that I have enough, you know. God says, "No, are you willing to give by faith? Do we trust that God will provide for our needs? Do we believe that? Listen, wealth can be fleeting." You could have an investment account that's enormous, but it could be gone tomorrow, right? Oh, I don't know how that could... There are countries and there are places in the world where those kind of things have happened. you know. So we trust in God. We may have a lot, but we need to trust in God. He is the one who provides for our needs. In the New Testament time, I believe that God looks at our hearts to see if we truly obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit. What is really ironic and what is really cool is, you know, with just presenting the need last week for a forklift and a and a pallet jack. It was the Lord that spoke to people's hearts. And I mean that I mean just that time. He spoke to hearts and the needs were met. Have you come to that place in your life where when the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something, your first answer is yes? Where you trust him? I don't know if giving ten percent is what we should do in the New Testament times. You know, I think maybe you know that was a pattern that God established. I'm not saying it's a law that we should follow today. I think it's a good place. Karen and I have always given more than that uh, in our 30 plus years of marriage, and I've known that God has always provided for our needs all the way through. Doesn't mean that there weren't times where it was tight and things were things were challenging, but we saw God come through every time and you will see that it will build your faith and it will build your trust as you trust in God. We're told in Proverbs chapter 11 verse 25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. You want to prosper? You want to be a prosperous, first be a generous person. That's what the Bible says. That's the principle that we see here throughout scripture. We don't give to get and I'm not one of the prosperity gospel kind of guys that think that, you know, uh, God wants everybody to be super wealthy and you just, I'm not in that camp at all, not even close to it. But I do believe that we're called to be generous people. and I believe what we're called to be is people who build principles into our lives and live by those principles, principles of stewardship and of generosity of contentment and of saving, and of borrowing, and spending, and investing, and in the principle of hard work. We build those principles into our lives, and I believe that we will have God's blessing on our lives, just because those principles are biblical principles. And when you obey God's word, God blesses it. Amen? So throughout this series, I've been giving homework. Y'all haven't been doing it all, but I've been, I've been giving homework to you. <clears throat> Here's your homework assignment for this week. As a husband and wife, sit down, or maybe even as a family, sit down together and say, you know what, Pastor talked about eight different principles here. Is there a principle that he talked about that we could be doing better? Could we be doing better in the area of saving? Should we be, should we be better prepared for the future? how are we doing on investing? How are we doing in our area of generosity? Are we good stewards of that which God has given us? Just simply ask yourself, God, as a family, ask yourself, is is there an area here, one of these principles that we could be doing better? And then make a commitment together as a family that we're gonna work on that. Good, here's what I know. Finances are a major cause of division in families, of marriages breaking up. It's a big issue. But if you if you are building these principles into your life as a couple, and as a family, you're gonna find, I believe, I really do, that it strengthens your marriage, strengthens your family, and gives you the grace and the strength to be able to make it for the long haul. So that's my challenge, encouragement to you today. Follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. If you just simply say, Lord, hey, I'm willing to work on these. Is there any area of this that I could be doing better? And then just... Sit there and listen and let God speak to your heart and uh, and then be obedient to it, amen? All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we recognize this morning that absolutely everything we have comes from you. And God, we have been so blessed. You have been so generous, so good, so kind to us. Help us to be generous, good, and kind to others. Help us to be people of faith, who trust you, who manage what you give us well so that we can give to your work, further your kingdom, bring glory to you in all that we do. Father, we recognize this morning and we thank you for meeting our greatest need and that is forgiveness of sins. Thank you that our sin debt has been paid through the blood of Jesus Christ. God, we are so honored and so humbled that you would love us that much that you would send your son Jesus Christ to die for our sins. We could never repay you if we gave you everything we had for the rest of our lives for what you've given to us. But God, you haven't called us to do that. You just called us to be good stewards. So God, may we do that. Follow the example that we see throughout your word. So, Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand as we sing our final song this morning.